On Fairway Roland, Joe House and Nathan Hubbard are joined by a rotating cast of Ringer and Golf World personalities to break down the latest in golf headlines and news. They also delve into the world of golf gambling. Check out Fairway Roland on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Coming up on New York, New York, the playoffs are here. The Knicks and the Hawks, the Nets and the Celtics. We'll have former Nick head coach, former Nick assistant. The head coach of Indiana, Mike Woodson, is going to join us. We have series picks across the board. The Yankees put together a hell of a road trip. How about the Yankees starting pitching over the last couple of days? We got you covered with the Mets, PGA picks, all sorts of voicemails. Our buddy Jared Smith is going to check in. He'll help us handicap that NBA field. It's New York, New York, presented by our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. It's coming up next. All righty, let's roll, baby. Welcome in to episode 21 of New York, New York. With yours truly, JJ, John Zostremski right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And the time has finally come. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, round one of the NBA postseason. And it feels like, in many ways, if you're a New York Knickerbocker fan, This has been a long week, but it's also been a very fun week. And I equate it to when your NFL team, I'm not used to this because my team hasn't won in 20 years in a postseason scenario, or your college basketball team wins in postseason play. And I've experienced this a lot with the Qs. The days leading into the next set of games, you got this extra pep in your step. You have this sort of, swagger about you as you go about your everyday life because it's like, holy moly, this buildup, this anticipation for what is to come. That's what it's been the last few days if you're a Knickerbocker fan. And yeah, you're not used to it because you got to go back to 2013. Think about what you were doing in 2013. That's the last time the Knicks were playing in a playoff series. It's the last time the Knicks hosted a first-round series. Well, that's all on the line starting Sunday night against the Atlanta Hawks. And you've heard me talk about it 10 zillion times, and I'm sure all of the 
storylines, subplots, they're going to be discussed ad nauseum. It's kind of like the Super Bowl and, you know, those NCAA tournament games with the buildup. Here's what I know about the Knicks. This is a team that's busted their ass all damn year. They have exceeded expectations all damn year. Why is it going to stop now? They didn't end up with Milwaukee. They didn't end up with Miami. They ended up with an Atlanta team that is inexperienced. They're in the exact same boat. Period. That's a great thing. If it was Milwaukee, no bueno. This is a five-game series. Six max. This were Miami. More competitive. Realistic chance to win, but you'd be an underdog. This series is priced exactly where it should be. You want to debate 115, 105, 120, 100? You could do that. These are two teams that, to me, have a max ceiling of the second round. That said, I want it, and I want it bad. If you're a Knicks fan, I'm sure you feel the exact same way. You want to keep this joyride going. You want to keep these good vibes going. And for this particular series, know this. Atlanta has maybe the most explosive player in the series in Trey Young. The Knicks' ability to guard Trey Young and throw a bunch of different bodies at Trey Young and play the sort of defense they have all year is imperative if they're going to find a way to win. They got to body him. They got to get physical with him. They got to do what they need to do. The other element that's going to decide this series, how are the Knicks going to counter and neutralize the size of the Atlanta Hawks? That means Capella. That means Collins. That means you're going to need something out of Nerlens Noel and Taj Gibson in this series. They've been terrific throughout the second half of the year. They are going to be counted on to give you big minutes here, matching up with the bigs of Atlanta. The other element to watch here in this series is pacing. If this is going to be more of a lower scoring type series, I think it's a major advantage for the Knicks. And I think if you're looking at a series that is getting up and down the floor, that's all sorts of up-tempo, advantage Atlanta. Pace, flow, matters here, folks. It matters. What's the two X factors for me in this series that's going to determine the bad boy? I'm going to give you two. Home court advantage and Tom Thibodeau. Tom Thibodeau should have been NBA coach of the year. I've seen Tom Thibodeau win playoff series. I know Nate McMillan's done a great job stepping in the interim for the Hawks. I think the Knicks have a coaching advantage in this series. I absolutely do. You also throw in the fact that the Knicks have been money, cash money. Madison Square Garden. Home court advantage, Tom Thibodeau. That's why the Knicks are winning this series. Knicks in six. That is the official JJ prediction. Get it on the record, so let it be written, so let it be known. Knicks in six. Now, the other first round series we have in town, you know, it sounds a lot sexier. Thinking about Kyrie going up against his old team, Nets taking on the Celtics. Like preseason, you would have been like, wow, this would be a really good second round series. This would be a really good Eastern Conference final. Except for the fact that the Celtics stink. 
They kind of limped into the postseason. The reason they ended up getting the seventh seed is because Tatum went ham and scored 50 points against the Washington Wizards. The Celtics will be lucky to get a game. What you're going to watch for with Brooklyn is a very simple element. What is the chemistry looking like? How are KD, Kyrie, and Harden all functioning on the court together? And are they able to go every other day? Or every two days? Whatever the dopey schedule may be. Because you're not in a position where you're just doing it for one round. Nets are all going to be in this bad boy going all the way into July. So that's the sort of stuff I'm going to look for. I'm going to give Boston a game in this series. I'm going to say Tatum has a moment in this series, but nothing more than that. If this series went beyond five games, I'd be very, very surprised. So I think it's a question of Nets in four or Nets in five. And I'm going to say the Nets, find a way to win this series in five. So Nets in five, Knicks in six. I might have unveiled those to Andrew Yang when he was on a couple of days ago, so he might have spoiled it for us. And I was still in brainstorm mode at that point. But now it's on record, so there you have it. Knicks in six, Nets in five. Now, the week in baseball for the Yankees, all in all, pretty good. Seven and three road trip, three out of four against the Rangers. I would have signed for that immediately, even before Monday's game. Even before the Yankees lost to Garrett Cole start, I would have taken three out of four. It's tough to win four-game series. I don't care what your opponent may be. It's also pretty remarkable that the Yankees found a way to win three out of four games considering their offense is completely MIA. And the Yankees, after basking in the glory of the Corey Kluber no-hitter, and I'm glad we did an emergency pod, I was super fired up. I don't care if the no-hitter is being devalued. When you haven't seen one from a Yankee, in 20-plus years, and you're thinking about the close call for Phil Hughes down in Arlington, or you're thinking about the close call for Mike Messina many moons ago in Boston, two outs in the ninth inning, and Carl Everett's clapping his hands, celebrating like they won the World Series. I was sick watching that game that night. You're damn right I'm going to celebrate a Yankee getting a no-hitter, especially a guy coming back from not pitching the last two years in Corey Kluber. I think it's a really cool story. And Kuba right now is making me eat my words after I was critical of the signing. I didn't know what he had left. Right now, he looks like a guy who's going to be an asset for the Yankees. But I thought this had hangover written all over it for Thursday's game. And with the lineup they put out there and with the way they were not swinging the bats, I'm like, oh, this is going to be ugly. This is going to be ugly. Thankfully, Domingo Herman stepped up yet again, seven shutout innings. I don't want to hear about the Texas lineup. Since Domingo Herman has come back off the AAA alternate site, whatever, the guy's been money. And I do believe, folks, the Yankees starting pitching and the way it is performing is absolutely sustainable. I do. I think it's sustainable. I think Cooper, if he's healthy, is legit. I think Herman is legit. I think Montgomery is a good number four starter. And you got the best pitcher in the American League every fifth day. Yankee pitching right now is doing a hell of a job. Thankfully, the Yankee bats did just enough. And we roast Aaron Boone for a lot of shit here on this podcast. Give him credit. He sat Aaron Judge and Giro Rochelle for six innings. Sends them up in the seventh inning. They both pinch hit, get RBI hits, difference in the game. And Rochelle is turning into one of those guys 
You want him up in big situations. You want him up with the game on the line. Pinch hit Friday night when I was in Baltimore. Yankees were down a run. Boom, threw a run homer. Pinch hits, nothing, nothing game. Gets a base hit. Gio's clutch. Super, super clutch. So now the Yankees win three out of four. Great. What's waiting for them this weekend, though? And they got all sorts of subplots with the Tony La Russa nonsense. And that's exactly what it was. I mean, Tony La Russa's got to have a clue. There's no mercy rule in Major League Baseball. You got a pitcher on a mound, sorry. Tough shit. Guys are going to swing 3-0. and You could say all you'd like about, oh, you know, the unwritten rules of baseball. I told him to take. And listen, if the manager tells you to take, that's maybe more of the gripe, but keep that in-house. Don't air your dirty laundry for all to hear, for everybody to now, you know, have the insights of what's going on with the Chicago White Sox. Needless to say, with all that being said, they're playing great baseball. Unlike the Yankees, they are scoring runs. Mercedes, Tim Anderson. That's a hell of a White Sox lineup. Yankees going to have their hands full this weekend. Winning this series, to me, would be a terrific accomplishment. Carlos Rodon is pitching on Friday. White Sox is going to have an advantage there. Saturday, Yankees have Cole going. You don't expect to lose back-to-back Garrett Cole starts. So it's going to be Cole on Saturday against Cease. And then on Sunday, so the Yankees will play Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Dallas Keuchel, the former Yankee killer, taking on Jamison Tyon. Goal for the Yankees is this. Find a way here to go and win two out of three. Mets going down to Miami this weekend. Miami, in many ways, has been a house of horrors for them over the years. They've had some big weekends against the Marlins. They've also had some weekends where they've got embarrassed. I can think of a few off the top of my head. And we'll see if the Mets can continue to keep on keeping on this next man up type of approach. Because, listen, that's been the story. The story for the New York Mets is that they're missing a ton of guys and they are finding ways to win. That's terrific. We're going to have to wait and see on Alonzo with the wrist and the hand. You might find that Pete Alonzo finds his way onto the injured list. There'll be no update plan before tomorrow. And when you read in certain places that Brandon Drury is joining the Mets, that's not good news. So, listen, Mets have been missing plenty of guys. You might be adding Pete Alonzo to the list next time we're having a conversation on Sunday. Keep winning series. They want a big series against the Braves. Now go find a way to do it against a spunky, pesky, dominatingly led Marlin team. We got a loaded shell. We'll have you covered every which way with serious prices. Jared Smith, Sports Grid, is going to join us. The former head coach, the former assistant coach of the New York Knickerbockers, and now the head coach at Indiana University, Woody. Mike Woodson is going to join us. Before we get to Woody, let's hit a voicemail right out of Gates, Rudy, who's on the horn. John, this is Nick in Philly. Look, you know, 2014 to 2018, Corey Kluber was the consensus best pitcher in the American League. You know, he gets hit on the arm on a freak play in 2019, and everybody acted like he forgot how to pitch. Total bargain that the Yankees signed him for $11 million. This guy's an ace. We have two aces as far as I'm concerned. Cole and Kluber set the tone. It's great to have him. Go, Yanks. Nick brings up a fair point with Kluber. The Yankees and a whole lot of other teams spent a ton of time watching him throw throughout the offseason. Remember, the Yankees got a bunch of guys coming over from the Indians. Their current pitching coach is a former Indian. Cressy, the strength and conditioning guy, is Corey Kluber's dude. 
who was kind of bringing him back and getting his rehab up to speed. So the Yankees felt like they had insider info. When they offered Kluber a one-year, $11 million deal after not pitching basically the last two years, I thought it was a ton of money. And I'm on record as saying I would have preferred Masahiro Tanaka. So far, though, Corey Kluber has been a godsend. He's pitching to a sub-3 ERA. He's starting no-hitter. If this is the version of Corey Kluber you are getting throughout the rest of this year and in October, you're writing it. You got yourself a legitimate number two starter. That's going to be, I believe, a major game changer and difference maker in trying to win in the postseason. But let's see if this version of Corey Kluber is the October version of Corey Kluber, which to me is still a giant what if. Loaded show. Coming up next, the former coach of the New York Knicks, Mike Woodson. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, let's welcome in a man who coached the New York Knickerbockers the last time they won a postseason series. He was on the staff earlier this year, and now he is the new head coach at Indiana University. Mike Woodson, what's happening, Woody? You got it. How are you today? I'm doing well. First things first, my friend. Congratulations on the new gig. What does it mean to be coaching your alma mater? It means everything to me. Um, you know, to be able to spend 34 years in the NBA as the player and coach and circle back to your alma mater, man, I, it's like a dream come true for me. Um, you know, I had one other time in the past to, to be able to come back and it just didn't work out. And I was good with that. But this time they full court pressed me and I, and I made it known that I really wanted to come back and a lot of people pulled for me to come back. And here I am now as the Indiana University head coach. Well, coach, I think it's terrific. I really do. I think it's terrific because you've won every step along the way. I mean, the Knicks have been waiting a long time to get back to the playoffs. And I remember you being on that sideline with Carmelo Anthony. It doesn't seem that long ago, but in reality, you look up, it's eight or nine years ago, for goodness sakes. For you, did you ever get the sense because you're such an NBA guy, your time with the Hawks, your time with the Knicks, your time coaching with Doc Rivers with the Clippers, that in some way that would be held against you from a college standpoint? No, not really. I think a lot has to do with timing, man, when it comes to getting these jobs. You know, I've interviewed for a lot of NBA teams over the years. And, you know, I mean, you got to find somebody that believes in Mike Woodson and what you're selling. Uh, you know, when I got the Atlanta job, I was hot off of just winning an NBA title with the great Larry Brown. Uh, and, you know, the Hawks chose me to build their team, and which we did that over the six-year span that I was there. And then I got the opportunity to come back to New York as a defensive coordinator for Mike D'Antoni, who gave me an opportunity. And when Mike stepped away, Jim gave me an opportunity to fulfill another dream, and that's coach the Knicks where I was drafted by. And we were able to flip that team, man. I mean, it was a beautiful thing to, 
to experience with a group of guys, uh, uh, a wonderful coaching staff that I had, and uh, it was just fun. So, I mean, timing is everything when you talk about getting college jobs, NBA jobs, but the timing was right this time, and, and the people here at Indiana made the commitment to uh, to make it happen, man, and I couldn't be more happier about it. Coach, talk me through your return to the Knicks. And I have to admit, you know, you go back to December and January. If you would have told me the Knicks right now would have home court advantage and would be 10 games over the 500 mark, when was the moment for you when you were working with Tibbs and working with a bunch of the guys where you maybe said there and said to yourself, this is a team that could be better than advertised? When we enter camp, when we, you know, and, 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 and make no mistake about it. I've said this to a number of reporters. You, you know, you, Tom Thibodeau has his, that's his stamp all over the Knicks, man. I mean, what he's done is, is just tremendous, man. And you got to give him a lot of credit because, again, they put a coaching staff together around him. A lot of the guys he didn't know. He didn't know me. He coached against me for a number of years. I didn't know him. He didn't know Kenny. He didn't know Johnny Bryant. I mean, he knew of these guys. He's had, you know, small acquaintance uh, relationships with some of these guys. But, again, to put new people around a coach, and we all seem to just click right off the bat. I mean, everything was just perfect. You know, I mean, I've been a, in this thing a long time and been a, a part of a number of staffs. Man, this was a special staff. So you got to give Leon and Wes and, and Mr. Dolan a lot of credit for putting this unit together. And then when we got together, Tib set the table in terms of what he wanted on, on offense and, and how he wanted to play defense. And in going into camp, he knew, we all knew, the only way we're going to be special and do something special this year, we got to defend. And that's their signature. You know, they're, they – they defend. They're in every game. They give themselves a chance to win down the stretch. And this year, they won more than they lost. So it's kind of nice to see. You ain't kidding, Coach. And then you watch Julius Randle, who I got to admit, when the Knicks brought him in, you know, you always wonder about guys. You know, Coach, when they play on losing teams, he's getting 24 and 10, but his team wins 25 or 30 games. So you got to wonder, is he a winning player? Well, this year, he's taken it to a whole nother level. Did you see that right out of the gate, or did it take like 10 or 20 games to be like, holy moly, who is this guy? Tom Thibodeau. That's that's the catchphrase I'm noticing, Coach. Tom Thibodeau. Tom Thibodeau. Kenny Payne, who who was assigned to Julius Randle. And, you know, whatever Kenny was selling, he bought because uh, – and, and, you know, and it went both ways. You know, I think the comfort zone, the fact that Kenny – had him in college. He had Orleans. He's had quickly and 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 Kenny uh, Kevin Knox. It made his job comfortable coming in as well. But whatever he was selling to Julius, Julius brought bought in and put the body of work in on and off the floor. You know, but watching film and and just working at his craft, man. And when I see stuff like that happening. Normally, good things happen for players, and then you benefit it, benefit from it, from a basketball team standpoint. You you win games because players buy into what you want done, and 
when I say Tibbs has put his signature all over that team, hey, they have brought into everything Tibbs is about and what his coaching staff is about. And that's that's nice to see from a coaching standpoint. You've accomplished a lot as a head coach. You've worked with great head coaches. You've worked with Larry Brown. You've worked with Doc Rivers. Now you've spent this half a year, three quarters of a year with Tom Thibodeau. What is the biggest thing, Coach, that you're going to take from your experience with Tibbs to the new gig you now have at Indiana? Well, you know, I, I have I think like to think there are some similarities. You know, I think the reason we hit it off so well because we do think alike a lot alike in 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 similar ways. Well, and, you you guys both love defense. Let's start yeah, right there, I mean, Coach. You guys love no, defense. So do I, for that matter. That's true, but. It's beyond that. I mean, I developed a friendship with someone that I didn't know. And I think he'll say the same thing. And that goes way beyond beyond basketball. But the one thing that really stands out when I look at Tom Tibbs and the body of work that he's put in is his organizational skill. He's, he's very organized. And he's to the point. And... There's no second guessing. You know, there's no in-between. There's no straddling the fence with him. You know, it's either this way or that way. Yeah, he gives you latitude to make, you know, to have your opinion and 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 voice your, your voice in terms of, you know, how you see things. And that's what good coaches should do. So, I mean, when I look at Tom Thibodeau, he's the total package, man. And that's why the Knicks are in the position they're in today. Might as well call this first round series the Mike Woodson series because you got your old team, the Atlanta Hawks, against your old team, the New York Knickerbockers. And Woody, I think they got a great chance to win a playoff series. And I know I like saying you're the last coach to win a playoff series for the Knicks, but I want to put that to bed after this series. I want the Knicks to get this done, you know? I, I do too. You, you know, know and that way you get some royalties as well because you're technically well, still, you know, an honorary member of the staff now, bro. <laughs> but no, it's not even about – But my thing is they deserve it. You know, I mean, when I look at the group of players that have been assembled there and the body of work all those guys have put in, there's a reason why they're in the fourth spot. They've worked at it, you know, and and they've been great off the floor. And it's just a great group of guys that they put together that have worked well together. And and that's when you coach it, man, you live your fantasies through these players. And when things, you put a game plan together and things go according to plan, that's the gratification of coaching. You know, and Tibbs couldn't be more happier with this group, man, because they, you can say they overachieved or whatever. The bottom line is they have the fourth spot in the East, and they open it up at home in New York in front of those wonderful fans. So that's going to be nice to see. Oh, it's going to be rocking and rolling. Now, if you were scheming against Atlanta, the bigger concern in this series, is it neutralizing Trey Young? Or is it the size, Woody, that they bring to the table with Capella and with Collins? Like, what is the bigger key for the Knicks? They're going to get through this first-round series. Young keeping you up more at night or the size of the Hawks? Well, again, you know, their defense has got to remain – the way it's been all season. You know, playoff games you win on the defensive end because after the first or second game, they're going to know what's coming either way. You know, the Hawks are going to know the Knicks. The Knicks are going to know the Hawks. Now it comes down to who's going to make 
the defensive stop? Who's going to get the key rebound? Who's not going to throw it away? It's a fine line in winning playoff games and, and getting out of a playoff series to advance. So you got to do everything right on both ends of the floor. And there's going to be mistakes, but normally the fewest mistakes win. And, you know, the Knicks haven't been a big turnover team all year. They've been a great defensive team. They, they've made the long ball, too, as well this year. But the Hawks, what they do possess is a lot of offensive weapons, guys that can – and they are big, guys that can score the basketball. So uh, I like to think that the Knicks having home court advantage and their defense being as solid as it's been all year will, will give them the nod. <laughs> when you think back to that team that won 54 games, that was so much fun, Coach. Because, listen, I'm a Yankee fan. Every year the Yankees are in the playoffs. I, I, I'm spoiled in that regard. But as a kid who grew up with Patrick Ewing and Oakley and all those guys, your team was so ahead of its time. Not only because, you know, you went a bunch of years with the Knicks not winning a playoff series, but with the way you guys spaced the floor, you had Carmelo at the floor, you had all these three-point shooters. You think about your team in many ways, Coach. You kind of brought about the three-point revolution. Did you kind of see that happening as you're coaching the team, or was that kind of more of an organic thing that just took place around the league? Well, I thought after taking over the team and we got in the playoffs and we lost that first round to Miami, that summer, Grunwald and I sat down and we came up with a plan to try to find shooters all over the gym. When you think about that team, Kidd could shoot it. Raymond could shoot it. Uh, Novak could Novak shoot Novak coming off the bench. Oh, yeah. yeah. Chris Copeland could shoot it. JR could shoot the long ball. Pablo, when he would shoot it, could make it. Uh, Ray, I said Raymond. You had Carmelo. Uh, I mean, we just had shooters all over the floor. And the way the game was going, we thought that Rasheed Wallace, he could make the three ball. So, I mean, we had all these guys that it was like, who are you going to lead? And, you know, I remember coming into that season because we did bring a bunch of old guys in that year, but we didn't bring them in to play them 30 minutes a game. You know, we, we, we brought them in, number one, to help in the locker room and just to lend support if I needed them. And, you know, the kids and the, and the Rashids, you know, they were they were a major bonus to our ball club, the Kurt Thomas and the Cambys as well. And we called hell for that. But that team, once it got going, it was a beautiful team to watch, man, on both ends of the floor. You know, we we did a lot of things defensively, but we set the tone by making the long ball and, and putting Melo in position and Amari when he was healthy. And, you know, you can't exclude Tyson. He was defensive player of the year, you know, that year. And, and Jr. had one of the best years he's had in the NBA, and he was rewarded the uh, uh, sixth man of the year. So, I mean, that team was special, man. Now, unfortunately, I wasn't able to get, get them over the hump uh, and get them to the Eastern Conference Finals uh, when we lost in the semis to the Pacers. So that was disheartening to end the season that way. But, boy, from a coaching standpoint, that's one of the – the best teams I've ever coached and, and fun teams. You know, I had a 53 wins season in Atlanta and that team was fun as well, but this team was pretty special. I thought. 
Coach, I think you and I have both blocked out the Roy Hibbert block on Carmelo Anthony from our memory. I don't want to see that replay ever again. But you guys having that lengthy series with the Celtics, did the quick turnaround winning Friday night and then having to host the Pacers, I think it was that Sunday, it was like an early afternoon, did that kind of just set a terrible tone and kind of terrible rhythm going into that series? I kind of felt that way as a fan. I'm curious if you felt that way as a head coach. Well, again, you know, you as a head coach and as a team, you got to deal with whatever's thrown at you, man. I mean, when you're playing playoff basketball, it's not going to be perfect. And, and to me, I've always said this, only the strong survive. Now, you know, when I go back to that Detroit team in 2004 with Larry Brown, we faced elimination uh, in the second round before getting to the Eastern Conference Finals, losing a triple overtime. Think about that at home. And, and the Nets could close us out in game six, and they jumped on this 12 to zero. And I'm sitting here saying, wow, how are we going to get out of this, this series? And we came back and won the game and went home and won game seven. I thought that was our NBA championship series that particular year. So, you know, I mean, you know, playoff basketball is funny, man. It really is. And, you know, that you got to give the Pacers credit. Hilbert was was beautiful in that series. You know, we he he played better in that series than he did during the regular season against us. And uh, but that's what playoff basketball is about. So when we came right out of that Boston series and started that game, as you remember, we were up, I think, 14 in that game in the first half. And we let them back in it and they got the momentum and ended up winning that game and we could never get it back, man. And that was disheartening, disheartening, you know, finishing the season the way we did. But, you know, for the most part, it was still a great season because, you know, we hadn't been in that position in many, many years. Coach, you surprised Carmelo Anthony? is doing what he's doing with Portland, man. I mean, he is bought in completely to being a role player. I loved watching him with you. I grew up watching him at Syracuse. But now, you know, he's playing behind Dame. He's playing behind CJ. And yet, he has fit in beautifully. Did you always foresee Carmelo being able to transition into being that sort of instant offense, third, fourth option type of player? Because it seems like he's, you know, in a perfect situation now in Portland. You know how I feel about Melo. You know, he's the mis so misunderstood, man. I mean, I, I there's nothing you could ever get me to say bad about Carmelo Anthony. To me, he's a pro and he's done his job. Everybody can't win NBA titles. Hey, look at Barkley. Look you know, at Ewing. No, look I'm, at Malone I'm, and Stockton. I'm just saying, because if you could, everybody would be winning them. It's not easy winning NBA titles. It's just not. So I'm not surprised he's accepted his role and he's thriving in his role. You know, the minutes that they're giving him, he's still doing what's asked of him and that's all you can ask for. So, you know, I couldn't be more happier for Melo and the way Stotts has, you know, got his team playing and uh, I wish him nothing but the best. I'm I'm the biggest Carmelo Anthony and I'll, I'll go to my grave being a, a Carmelo Anthony fan. You and me both. And I know Mike Woodson, a Yankee fan. Mike Woodson, a Carmelo Anthony fan. We got a lot in common. I like hearing that. Coach, final one, man. I appreciate the time. When is it going to hit Mike Woodson? Holy smokes, I'm the head coach at Indiana University. Is he going to be the first game? Is it going to be during the summer workouts? Is it going to be 
hopefully next March in your NCAA tournament because I'm putting you guys in the tournament already. I'm thinking ahead. When is it going to hit Mike Woodson? Wow, I'm the head coach of my alma mater. No, it's already set in. You know, I mean, I understand the dynamics of what this university brings from a basketball and academic standpoint. It's 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 nationally known. You know, there's no bigger stage. You know, I mean, you got the Carolinas, the Kentuckys, the Dukes. I get the Kansas. You know, you've got all of those great colleges, and I'm not taking anything away from you. Can't do that, but I know the dynamics of the, this university and what this program has been over the years, and all the great players that have come through this program. So yes, it has hit me. Knowing, with that being said, I got a lot of work to do. You know, and that's why I took the job. You know, they gave it to me, and. I'm going to put my best foot forward to try to get this team back on top because that's the name of the game, man. I mean, I loved it when I could turn the TV on and know that IU was going to be there at the end or have a shot at it. And that's where we got to get back to, man. It's going to take a lot of hard work and, and, you know, my staff and I putting the right pieces in play, uh, but we up for the challenge. Coach, I'm rooting for you in every single game, unless you're scheduling Jimmy Beheim in the Qs. You got my full-fledged support every which way, man. Thank you for all you meant to the Nick organization, and best of luck at your alma mater, okay? Great. I appreciate you having me, man. Go New York Knicks, all right? There you have it. Knicks winning this series, Coach Woodson? I think so, right? You're picking Knicks in six. How's that sound? I don't care if it's in four. Hey, go New York Knicks. Amen to that. All right, Woody, take care, man. That's Mike Woodson, the former head coach and assistant coach at the New York Knicks, and now doing big things, I hope, at his alma mater, Indiana University. When we come back, we'll set the stage for the baseball weekend. The Yankees do what they need to do against the Texas Rangers. Ton of voicemails. We got some series picks coming up with Jared Smith over at Sports Grid. It's a loaded Thursday and a Friday show. We're rocking. We're rolling. It's New York, New York, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things but at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. So before we get to some listen to voicemails, a brutal, and I mean a brutal loss for the Islanders. Pivotal game three. Have to find a way to get off to better starts. That's my first takeaway right out of the gate. You can't keep falling behind in these playoff games and think that you're going to win. Latang scores right out of the gate. It's 3-1 going into the third period. And to be honest, it felt like a very ho-hum type of affair. But when the Islanders score... Bang, bang, within the first six minutes of the third period, and they end up tying the baby up at three. 
Then all hell broke loose. And it was a fun and entertaining third period to watch. I mean, anytime you have five goals scored in one individual hockey period, I mean, that's some crazy stuff right there. But for the Islanders to get this game from 3-1 to one to 3-3, then they tie it again with Quarterbrock scoring his second goal of the game, you got to find a way to bring that game home. Unfortunately, the Islanders were unable to do so. And I think the narrative that you're going to hear from the Isles faithful is that they got to replace their goaltender. And after what you saw from Varlamov in game three, terrible game. I mean, he gives up five goals, did not look particularly good. They end up making a change going into game four. I don't think anybody's going to complain if they end up going to Sorokin. So to me, if you're the Islanders, I'm A-OK making the goaltender change. That is not going to upset me in the least. This is a missed opportunity tonight. Why? When you score four goals, and I'm not pretending to be Mr. Hockey. This is just God's honest truth. You score four goals in a Stanley Cup playoff game, you got to bring that baby home. You got to find a way to seal the deal on that bad boy, okay? They did not. So a tough loss for the Islanders, 5-4 to four to the Penguins. Now, we got all this craziness going on this weekend. You got the Islanders in the postseason. You got the NBA playoffs, Knicks and Nets, both involved. Yankees in a potential playoff preview against the Chicago White Sox. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. To make this weekend even better, you got the PGA Championship on deck. And all in all, I mean, you look at the leaderboard after day one, juicy leaderboard. Connor's the leader at five under par. My guy Phil was terrific today. And I actually took Phil in one of the pools that I'm in. He's in like that third group or that fourth group. And if I could get two or three really good days out of Phil... I'm going to be giddy. Now, my buddy, the great Alex Plavin over at FanDuel Sportsbook, he's got Kepka at 50 to 1. I'm jealous. Because you know what? I took Kepka in the Masters, and I, I looked like a fool. Kepka stunk. I don't even think he made the cut. Kepka, good first day. Very, very good first day. Now, as far as my picks, one day into this tournament, my response, yikes. That's all I can tell you after one day, folks. Yikes. Yikes, yikes. I gave you Patrick Cantlay, one over par right now. Which, honestly, not the worst compared to some of the other guys I gave you. How about Berger? Seven over par. I mean, geez. Talk about taking a ticket and and, and flushing it right down the toilet after one day. You shoot seven over par, you might as well go home. And, you know, for my pools and whatnot, I am hopeful that a guy like Berger can at least make the cut. Maybe shoot like five under tomorrow. And not embarrass himself. That's the key with these tournaments. You want to have your guys kind of tread water. Those first couple of days. Be within two or three shots of the lead. And then make the move. Make the push. And go from there. But I think we're going to have a good leaderboard here. I really do. I hope more cow is in the mix. I hope that my guy Gooch is in the mix. Ricky. I've been waiting for Ricky to go and have a big tournament. It's been a while. He was one on the part today. So... With all the nonsense, and I say nonsense in a good way, with this weekend as a whole, sometimes nonsense can be a good thing. I like nonsense. Crazy nonsense. Stupid nonsense. Add the PGA Championship to that mix. Now it's time, folks. Friday show, late Thursday show, depending on when you're listening. Weekend vibes. I hope the weekend vibes are at an all-time high. Nick playoff, Yankee White Sox, hell of a weekend. Let's hit those voicemails, and let's do it. Let's do it big. Who's up? 
JJ, Steven, Sunnyside. Six straight series wins for the Yankees now. A 7-3 and three road trip. You sign up for that and twice on Sunday, especially when you start the series off with two wins in the House of Horrors that is Tampa. We're all fired up. Still smiling about the Kluber no-hitter. Chapman's pumping in 103 miles an hour. My question for you, and I know it's only late May, but no rest for the weary here. Measuring the sixth series against the Chicago White Sox. Can't believe I'm saying that. They have the best record in the American League. I'm just curious what your thoughts are of the series coming up this weekend and how much stock do you put in it? White Sox are coming in hot. I mean, they don't even like their own manager. Tony Bruce is not back in uh, Mercedes after hitting the home run uh, with the big lead off the position player and the Twins. I'm just curious, do you feel like this is an enormous series for the Yankees to show who they are in the American League right now? It's a very, very good question, Stevie and Sunnyside. I would prefer the Yankees play well this weekend. And it's more due to the fact that the American League East is as jumbled as it is. Not necessarily the heads-up matchup with the Chicago White Sox, where you might be looking at a potential playoff series. I don't disagree with that. I think there are a whole lot of folks out there, and I would side with them, who would make the argument the Yankees and the White Sox are the two best teams in the American League. But when I see Toronto and Tampa and Boston all right there, that, to me, is why I want to go and win these games. You got to win the cold start, find a way to split the other two, the goal for the Yankees is win two out of three. And all in all, you got to be thrilled with winning and winning big here on this long and lengthy road trip. Starting in Tampa, taking a bunch in Baltimore, and now three out of four against the Rangers. Now it's time to go back to the Bronx and take care of business. Who's up next? JJ, Justin from Floral Park. I got to eat my words about Kluber. Great job getting the no-hitter yesterday. Uh, Tyler Wayne finally earning his pinstripes, doing something with the triple, playing great in the outfield, finally stepping up. Uh, as far as the Knicks go, it's going to come down to this. Can their bench outperform the Atlanta bench, and can they make sure Clint Capella doesn't kill them on the glass? If they do that, they're going to be fine. Obviously, Trey Young's going to get his, but uh, I think Rose will do a good job. He's a good veteran leader. The bottom line is you can't let their bench outwork you, and also you cannot let Capella to you on the glass. Later, bro. Excellent call, Justin. You and I both are eating all words on Corey Kluber so far. We'll see if that continues throughout the regular season, but I give credit where credit is due. Capella on the glass scares me in this series. Absolutely scares me in this series. Capella's a guy that's played a lot of postseason games over the last couple of years. I'm not in love with the Knicks size, even though these guys have been workmanlike glue guys all year in Gibson and Noel. Containing the bigs, pace, and neutralizing Young. Those are the three keys. You're going to win this series? All three need to happen. Who's on a horn next? Hi, John. Uh, it's Eric uh, from Westchester, but currently living in Chicago. i got to say, I absolutely love the show. And uh, I wanted to ask, does Dolan uh, interfering with the Rangers make you at all worried about the Knicks? And do you think, like, NBA executives and players have taken note and are maybe reminded that the Knicks have this terrible owner who might step in and mess, mess things up at any second. Thanks, bud. Bye. It's a fair question. I've always had this fear with the Knicks. It's always been looming over the franchise's head as a fan since this ownership group has run the team over the last 20-plus years. Yeah, it's a concern. But I think winning kind of trumps that in many ways. The fact that the Knicks are winning 
I think is far more important. And the people that they have put in place, Tom Thibodeau, Leon Rose, World Wide West. I mean, these are mega power players throughout the league. And we had Kevin O'Connor on a couple days ago, who's well-connected. He's got way bigger, way more variety of NBA sources, as I like to say. Bunch of sources compared to me. I got my people. I have people in my ear, but Kevin's talking to everybody around the NBA. I'm not. I ain't going to sugarcoat that. I'm going to own that. I'm not. When I hear Kevin tell me point blank, the perception is changing around the franchise and is changing in a big way, I take that comment to heart. I take it very, very seriously. And that alleviates a lot of the concerns I've had about Dolan. Who's on the horn next? JJ, Joey from Yonkers. We got to get the baseball announcers back with the team when they do road games. Sterling's having a tough time. You had Kay call the no-hitter watching it on TV. Howie Rose talks about how it's not ideal to be doing games like this. And guys on the team, they wouldn't even know them if they tripped over them because they're not spending time with the team. Luis Rojas did an interview, and he said umpires are traveling with the team due to protocols. But somehow we can't get the announcers to travel with the team. Obviously, these networks are just trying to save money, stop the bullshit, get them on the road. I love you, Joey and Yonkers. I miss that voice. I miss seeing you up in Yonkers at the Resorts World Casino when we used to do a bunch of those remotes up there. Miss you, pal. Great hearing your voice. And you couldn't be more spot on. You got to get these announcers back on the road. I couldn't agree more. It is a disadvantage to them. It is a disadvantage to the viewer. Having an announcer call a game off of a video board or off of a monitor, you're not going to do as good a job. And you know what this boils down to. These networks are looking to save a couple of bucks. And that's my fear. See, I don't worry about it, Joe, nearly as much in a big market like New York because, listen, they're going to want Michael Kay and Gary Cohen and Mike Breen and Ian Eagle on the road. It's New York City, for goodness sakes. I worry about a city like, I don't know, Kansas City, where their television network maybe isn't doing as well. And I'm not looking to say that the Kansas City network's not doing as well. I'm just trying to pick a small market. For those who want to like pinpoint now and maybe want to throw me the wolves on that, I'm acknowledging. Small market. Pick your city. Sometimes these networks look to cut corners and nickel and dime any which way they can. And that's disgusting. I'm sorry. It's disgusting. First of all, you get these announcers, you could put them on a team charter for goodness sakes. Most of them go on a team charter. So you're not nearly as concerned about that. I hope by July 4th weekend, you know, enough people are vaccinated now. You're starting to pack these houses out, which is a thing of beauty to see. I love that. The fact that, you know, 15,000 are going to be in Madison Square Garden puts a smile on my face. That's emotional. After the last year and a half, it's emotional. The announcers should be traveling with the team. I understood why they did not during the whole COVID protocol. Now, enough is enough. Couldn't agree more. Who's up next? Hey, JJ, how you doing? This is Matt from Manhattan. Listen, Bob Kluver, no hitter last night. Unbelievable. I knew he could do it. And this is the first no-hitter, I think, all season. 
That wasn't from a guy that throws 98 miles an hour. His average fastball tonight, 92. This is more like an old-school no-hitter with the slick movement on it, all his off-speed pitches. I mean, unbelievable. But let me ask you this, JJ. Do you think Corey Kluber will be in Hall of Fame consideration when his career is over? I mean, look at him. I mean, he had a great run with the Cleveland Indians. And other than last season in 2019 – when he had freak injuries, he's been a Cy Young-level pitcher throughout most of his career. He's won two Cy Youngs. I mean, unbelievable. And let me throw this at you, JJ, too, because I know you're a big college fan with Syracuse and all. I mean, Corey's from my school, the great old Stetson University, home of the Hatters, who's also home to the Cy Young winner, Jacob DeGrom. And that catcher, everyone's being all peppy about with the Mets, and Patrick Mazika. So let me hear your, your comment on that, because I know how big you are with your college pride in Syracuse Orange. Later, JJ. Let's, I love everybody showing off their college pride. And I know the great Dave Polchinski, who's a Stetson guy and my golf coach, is probably all fired up hearing that, because he's a Stetson guy now killing it, creating law. Kluber, I'm not ready to put him in Hall of Fame conversation yet. And I understand the numbers now are going to change dramatically for pitchers. Like Jacob DeGrom from a win standpoint, that's not going to be held against him. We know baseball and hitting 300 wins, that's like, uh, it's a relic. It's a thing of the past. Kluber has a career 3-1-5 ERA, which is outstanding. But you're basically looking at one, two, three, four elite years. That's not enough in my eyes. It's not enough in my eyes to be a Hall of Famer. Now, the good news for Corey Kluber is that his career is not over. And he still has a lot more work to do. But no, at this point in time, I'm not I'm not putting Corey Kluber in the Hall of Fame. Not yet. Two to go. Who's on a horn? Hey, JJ. Isaac from Park Slope calling back after getting you all fired up for calling KD the best basketball player in New York City history, which is still true, by the way. Anyway, are you ready for my Brooklyn Nets to sweep the sorry Boston Celtics? I cannot wait to watch Kyrie dominate Kemba Walker in a seven-game series. I recall your current boss floating the idea a while back that the Celtics were better off with Kemba over Kyrie, and for that reason, I'm giddy to watch the fourth player in NBA history to shoot 50-40-90, averaging 25-plus points per game to smoke cardiac Kemba. That's right, Kyrie joins Bird, Steph, and his teammate Kevin Durant as the only players ever to be in the 25 points per game, 50-40-90 club. I hope you can push aside your Nets hatred for a few games and a few series and enjoy how great this team can be on offense. Anyway, love the show as always. Keep it up. The Nets are winning this series with these. You don't have to worry about that. I tell like it is with the Nets. I don't like the Nets. I'm not rooting for the Nets. The Nets are an outstanding team. They are going to have no trouble with the Celtics. You tell me Boston gets a game? Sure. You're not sweating this series at any point if you're Brooklyn. And if you are, there's a major, major problem. Last but not least, on the horn, who do we got? Hey, John, this is Max from beautiful, sunny Orange, California. Uh, I just wanted to ask you, after an incredible Knicks regular season, so many nail-biting games, which game was your favorite to watch this year from this Knicks team? Uh, For me, that Austin Rivers game against the Jazz, where he scored 14 straight, and we squeaked out a win there. I just knew every other year the Knicks would obviously blow that game, and once they won that against like a real jazz team, I knew there was something special with this team. So I was just very curious what your game was, your favorite game. Anyways, have a good one. I love this show, man. Thank you. That's an excellent, excellent, excellent question, Max. 
Excellent question. And I thought about it right at the end of the regular season. Because it's when you like to reflect and, you know, I might go on my walk for coffee or maybe I'm, you know, shooting the breeze on the golf course. And these conversations come up. For me, I'm going to give you two games. The first was an overtime win in come-from-behind fashion against the Memphis Grizzlies. Why? The Knicks were at a point where they had a bunch of really tough losses in a row. They had a tough loss against Philly. They had a tough loss against Brooklyn. And you know the narrative. It's John Moran, R.J. Barrett. For R.J. Barrett to go off the way he did in the fourth quarter in overtime, to have the game-tying layup going at John Moran, that was one of those hell yeah type of Nick wins for me. So that game is right at the top of my list. The other two I'm going to give you, the Clipper game on national TV, when the Knicks found a way to win and hit a ton of threes and play with all, all sorts of chutzpah. That game and the game against Atlanta, which was imperative, and them finding a way to get the number four seed. Those, to me, are my three favorite, I think, regular season wins. I get the Austin Rivers-Utah game. Somebody might bring up the Milwaukee win or Boston win, but I would say the Memphis game, the Clipper game, and the game late in the year at the Gordon, even though Trey Young got hurt with the Knicks taking down the Hawks. Coming up next, we'll have all the serious prices covered every which way in the NBA with our handicapper extraordinaire, Smitty. Jared Smith over at SportsGrid is up next. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. So it's the weekend before Memorial Day, and that means this year we have first-round NBA playoff series to get to. Normally, you think about Memorial Day weekend, and right around the middle of May, it's second round, third round. But I actually like this year the way the playoff schedule shakes out. That way, the NBA Finals are going into July. And I believe this gentleman is now the first guest to appear on New York, New York for the second time. Jared Smith, you're like setting all sorts of records, my man. How you doing, brother? Oh, that's a that's a big honor, JJ. Coming from the guy who's got the billboard, uh, you know, outside the garden right now, I feel like I am larger than life with you today. It is an exciting time. A lot going on. A lot to get to. I'm fired up, bro. I've been yeah. diving into these serious prices all week. And listen, let's get to the one that the audience cares the most about. That's the New York Knickerbockers. Depending on where you get the Knicks, it might be 105. It might be 115. I'm seeing FanDuel up to the minute. Atlanta's minus 115, and the Knicks are minus 105. To me, home court advantage, Tom Thibodeau, Nick defense. I think the Knicks got the most favorable 
of the potential first-round matchups and opponents. I like the Knicks in six. Are you riding with me, my dude? I know my heart says Knicks. My head also says Knicks. So let's get that out in the open, my man. I like the Knicks to get it done here. Across the board. I think every part of my body says Knicks. And, and you know, it just, it just begs the, the question, why is it priced so favorably for us? They have home court. They have the coaching edge. I mean, let's be honest. Nate McMillan's never won a first-round series. I think he's 0 for 7. Seven straight first-round series losses. Nate McMillan coach team. So they have the coaching edge with Tibbs. I, I think they have the talent edge. I think if you put Randall toe-to-toe with anybody that the, that, that the Hawks are playing, obviously Trey Young can go off on any night, but I think Randall does more for the team as a whole. And I think they have the kind of the, the auxiliary players, and they played really well all season with Barrett. And goodness gracious, Derrick Rose is going to be the most important player, I think, in this postseason to keep these kids grounded. That's the one concern I have is that they don't have the playoff experience. But man, oh man, have they had a heck of a season at home court at the Garden with 15,000 screaming fans for four out of seven games. That makes the difference for me, JJ. And and I agree, six, seven, whatever you want to call it, I think the Knicks do win this series because I think they're going to get a late game to win it. It's going to go five. It's going to go at least six games. So that means the Knicks are going to have a chance to win it on home court. I, I certainly think they take care of business. And, Smitty, thinking about what the other potential first-round matchups would have been, let's be honest. They're matching up with Milwaukee. Milwaukee's minus three-something <sighs> against Miami. That means Milwaukee would have been minus 400, I yeah. guess, against the yeah. Knickerbockers. Miami, though, if the Knicks ended up having home court advantage and face the heat, I think Miami would be a 160-180 favorite. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that the Knicks are getting home court against the lesser opponent, yet they're still not the presumptive favorite. You know, they, I think I saw the initial move to the Knicks, and then it's settled back since. So you could say maybe there's buyback. I've heard sharp bettors do that all the time. They head fake the market because they know when they bet, they're going to move the line, but they just do a little nibble on the opposite side, and then they come back harder on a more favorable line. Maybe that's what happened with the Knicks. Maybe the Sharps really liked the Hawks, and they got the Knicks moving early, and then they came back on Atlanta because we've seen it move towards Atlanta pretty steadily uh, throughout the week. But I don't buy it. I mean, I'm going to trust my handicap here, JJ. I, I really think the Knicks, you, you're right, against the Heat, against the Bucks, they would have been a pretty, pretty you know, presumptive underdog. I think here they should be the favorite, and I think we're getting a little edge on the line. Listen, with Brooklyn and Boston, I know my boss, Mr. Simmons, is not going to want to hear this. Boston <laughs> has absolutely no chance of winning the None. series. None. The question is, how many games is this series going to go? And I kind of boil it down to one or two scenarios. A legitimate sweep or a gentleman's sweep. Forget about the 1050. Nobody in their right mind is laying 1050 in a series price. And if you do, you either have more money than God or you're just a crazy <laughs> person. But Four games, plus 260. Five games, plus 196. I know you're leaning in one or two directions. I know you don't expect this to go six or seven, I would think. How do you see this series shaking out with Brooklyn and Boston? Well, the one thing I love, and, you know, we have the same partners with FanDuel Sportsbook, they give you so many different ways to bet this. So, obviously, you're not laying it, and and I would recommend any of your viewers, any of your listeners, not to lay it with Boston, or not to lay it with Brooklyn against Boston. But the way that you can play it, that's a little unique, JJ. You talk about the gentleman sweep, that's one thing. How about the series score after three games? How about the Nets just winning three straight to go 3-0? That's something that I can really see happening, and that's plus 160. Uh, and then it really doesn't matter if they want to give one up because what's been the MO for the Nets all year? They win when they have to win, but when they don't, they, they, they kind of let off the gas pedal a little bit. You would think up 3-0 would be the one game that Boston would win. So that's an interesting way to play it. I certainly can't uh, you know, fault anyone for playing a sweep or, or for playing the gentleman sweep at 4-1. to one. 
if you play both of those, they're both at pretty good plus money. So if you play them both for a half unit or a unit and one of them happens, you're going to be profitable. So I think that's the way I would play it. And again, you don't have to lay the big number. You don't have to lay the wood with Brooklyn. You can come go about it in different ways. And that's the beauty of these sports books. They give you so many uh, different ways to play. Okay. Last night you're watching the Laker Warrior game. I'm dialed in. I cashed my Warrior plus five and a half ticket. Uh, I didn't play him on the money line. I wasn't feeling frisky enough. And I'm glad that I wasn't <laughs> feeling frisky enough. My initial reaction, I tweeted this out. So Twitter is the reference and is the, uh, the point of no return. I thought the Lakers would be minus 160, 170. Okay. I see the series line. One in the morning, 130. I'm cracking open a beer and I see 300. 300. Then I wake up this morning, Smitty. I'm going about my day. I'm getting my coffee. And it's back where I thought it was supposed to be. So this buyback now from 300 to the Lakers, now down to 160, 170. Is that due to sharp betters coming in on the Phoenix Suns? Or are you getting a lot of square betters saying, hey, we got a two seed. We're getting plus two whatever. Let's take them. Why are we seeing this line movement with this Lakers-Suns series price? Well, the, the good thing about it is the timing of the move gives you, you know, pulls back the curtain of mystery about who it was. Square bettors don't make bets this early on in, in the process. This game's not going to take place till the 23rd. So that's what Sunday. They're not coming in and going to step in and make a large wager on the Suns four or five days before the game. You might get some recreational money that's reactionary to the game. But for a line to move that considerably, when basically all the consensus, all of our friends out in the desert were all consensus, Minus 250, you know, that that range. And then, boom, immediate move like that. That's sharp money. Somebody stepped in big, maybe offshore, uh, and put a big whopper on the Suns. Maybe to win the series. Uh, maybe to win the NBA title. I, I don't know. But they certainly put a big money on Phoenix to make it move that considerably. Now, I think the line's actually pretty fair. And I think you're getting a little value on the Lakers here. I, I just talked about it with our guy, James Alvarino. We just had a, a nice conversation before I hopped on with you. I, he likes the Suns in game one. And I could see that taking place. Being, you know, LeBron and company a little maybe tired after that after that Warriors game, but seven game series, the Lakers are winning this series. I, I can't see Monty Williams, uh, you know, out coaching Frank Vogel and out coaching LeBron James, frankly. And and I I feel like the defensive vibe that you saw from the Lakers in the second half of that game, where they held the Warriors like forty five points, it to me that's what we're going to see a lot of in this series. And I if if Steph Curry couldn't figure out a way to beat the Lakers last night. I don't know if, the, uh, if, if Booker's going to be able to have that vibe. And Chris Paul has had some interesting moments in big playoff spots too. So can the Suns win game one? Can they make this series interesting? Absolutely. But long haul over the course of seven games, I think it's the Lakers series. To lose. I would agree with that. And that's why I'd lay the 160. 300, yeah. I'm not going to do it at 160. No. LeBron James, Anthony Davis, I'll take my chances in a best yep. of You're seven. getting a fair price now. You're getting a fair price now. I'm getting a real good price. When it comes to the rest of the Western Conference, who is the team you're looking at right now? that has the best chance of knocking off the Lakers, I look at one of two. I think it is either Utah because of what they've done all year and the different ways they can beat you, or it's the star power of the Los Angeles Clippers, even though I question the intestinal fortitude of that team, not named, of course, Kawhi Leonard. So I give you the look, the gander at the Western Conference. Who is the team, Smitty, you think is knocking off the Lakers, if anybody? Yeah, I, I don't see anybody knocking off the Lakers. See, I, I, the way that I treat these defending, you know, defending champions, especially the teams with the gumption that the Lakers have, with you know the best player on the planet, LeBron James, and arguably the second best player with Anthony Davis. Until I really see the chinks in the armor in the playoffs, I'm not going to jump off the ship. Last night was no, there. There's no way there was any chinks last night. They woke up at halftime in that game and they showed you the true heart of a champion, and 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 it, they're going to be tough to beat. 
But in terms of talent-wise, I agree with your take on Utah. The one concern I have with Utah is they definitely are fading down the stretch. They played their best basketball, I think, earlier in the year. That's not to say that they can't step it up to another gear because they've had a lot of playoff experience with this core over the last three or four seasons. But I, I do get concerned about teams that played their best basketball in January and February and not as much in March and April. I, I do think the Clippers, I think it's going to be Lakers-Clippers in the West Final. Uh, I've gotten that vibe ever since I saw the potential seedings shake out the way that they're going to, meaning the Lakers being in that playing game and have a chance to be the seven and not the eight and avoid the Clippers in the second round. I feel like we should have got it last year. And there were some things that we should have got last year that we didn't. And I think now this year we're going to get it. So I'm going Clippers, Lakers. Uh, and I think the Lakers, you know, pull it out probably in six or seven games. But I, I'd be shocked to not see an L.A. team in the finals this year. Battle for L.A. in the Western Conference Finals. I know that <laughs> We network. deserve it. They'd we love it. We deserve it, JJ. They'd absolutely love it. Are you surprised Portland favored against Denver? No, because Denver. No, Murray, right? Is Murray yeah, the difference maker? Yeah. To me, if Murray's in this series. Denver's a minus 150, 155 favorite, I think. Yeah, and, and and I think with Portland, too, they, again, Portland's been there. Denver's been there, too. And, and I think you saw it. I don't want to take too many conclusions from that one playing game in the East the other night, but you saw a team in the Hornets that were ready, that were not ready for the playoffs against a team for the Pacers that have been there. Brogdon's been to the East final. So, you know, they've been in playoff games before. I, to me, that's the difference. Aaron Gordon's never played in a playoff game, and he is going to have to be relied. I think he actually was in the playoffs with Orlando last year, but they were bounced really early with Milwaukee. But he is going to have to be such a transformational piece because Nikola Jokic is not the kind of guy that's going to go off for 40 or 50 points and steal, and steal a playoff game. He's going to do all the little things and make other guys better. But is Aaron Gordon, are those role players for Denver going to step up? I think they could step up and win a series against Portland. It's the next series against the Clippers that I would be very worried about with that, or excuse me, with the Lakers that I would be very worried about with them. Uh, so I would lean Portland because they have the better backcourt scoring tandem. And again, same thing in March, same thing in college basketball. Good scoring, good defense is going to get you, you know, backcourt scoring is going to get you across the finish line in the NBA as well. I think the Blazers have it more than the Nuggets do. That's why I'd favor them in the series. You know, they some invested in Philly to win the East and win the title. I'm invested in Brooklyn, pre-Horton, to go and win the title. Very good price on Brooklyn at 8-1. Yeah. to one. Now, I don't want them to win, full disclosure. I want anybody <laughs> yeah. but the Nets and anybody but the Lakers. <laughs> but, hey, cash is king, and if I end up making a couple of bucks, great. Who's got a better chance, you think, of upsetting the apple cart and getting to the Eastern Conference Finals? I, Miami, I or, no, Miami or Milwaukee? Okay. Who would have the better chance in your eyes of doing so? Oh, man. The matchup favors Miami. The problem with Miami is they have not been durable this year. All year. And, and, and we talk about Brooklyn's durability. Brooklyn's fresh. Brooklyn didn't need to go 100 miles an hour to get a top three seed in the East. Brooklyn, and I give a lot of credit to Steve Nash for this, Brooklyn was able to kind of dance and kind of, you know, jog their way to the, to the East playoffs. Miami, especially the last month, and we saw it with the Wizards the other night, they just ran out of gas because they've been going full blow for the last two months. Miami's had to really pedal down, you know, really accelerate to get one of those seeds to not be in the playing game. And I, I think Milwaukee's get that series is going to take a lot out of them. Like, say, for instance, Miami is able to get through Milwaukee. That series is going to take every ounce of their soul to beat the Bucs again. And I think the Bucs might have an easier time coasting if they are able to, you know, you know, shoot it and, you know, get around that Miami defense where if the Heat win that series against the Bucs, they're going to be drained. And then you got to go up against the big three who would presumably just beat Boston in a seven-game series. I get the vibe that if Miami does make it to the next round, 
I, I think that would be a bad matchup for for Miami. And and I think actually I have this vibe on Milwaukee this year. It, it feels like a redemption season, JJ. It does. Uh, you know, well, I've been spinning on them, I, and the narrative is, Jared, that they can't win in the postseason. So maybe they use that to yeah. their advantage, where it's like, sure. yeah, nobody's giving us a chance. Nobody they're priced like they're going to win this series. They are. They, they're making they're they're making you think about it because they want Miami action, which I think is intriguing. Okay, before we say goodbye, baseball this year, it's been a year of the pitcher. Offense is way down. Is this something you've been able to take advantage of from an under standpoint, a strikeout market standpoint? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's tough handicap in baseball day in and day out. But, Jared, you look up and down a sport. I mean, nobody's scoring runs. No. And it's an epidemic. I read the Kirkshin article. Uh, I think it was yesterday, a couple days ago. Uh, he had a really long expose about strikeouts. I recommend it. It's a really good article. Because it just it talks about how the fundamentals of the game have changed. And when the fundamentals change, it might take 10, 15 years, but eventually the entire lineup of every single team is basically home run or strikeout. And that means that you're going to have a lot of these games, plus the balls and the humidors in some of these stadiums. You're going to have a lot more of these no-hitters this year. Now, are no-hitters exciting? Sure. Are they a little boring? Okay. But when I'm in the ballpark for a no-hitter, even if it's only the sixth or seventh inning, I'm pretty jacked up. But you're right. The first five unders, the strikeout markets, pick your spots because they're moving these numbers. These markets are volatile. They're all over the place. Uh, but if you feel like you have good edges in, in the strikeout markets every night, that to me is where you're going to see the most success long term because the fundamentals of baseball today is strikeouts and home runs. And, and that's just what the game's geared towards. We will catch up later on in the postseason. That's a guarantee. Your favorite <laughs> series price. I give you the full board, Smitty. Whatever you'd like to quote T.I. from many moons ago. Whatever you'd <laughs> like, baby. You don't want me to start rapping. Nobody needs no. that. Um. But the floor is yours. The board is yours. What's Knicks. your favorite? Knicks. Ah, you're, 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 you're getting the best. You're price. coming on New York, New York. So I think you're McMillan sucking up fade. a little bit. He's never won a first round series. How can I bet on him as a favorite to go on the road and beat one of the best home teams in the NBA this year? Four out of seven. Can't do it. Got to take the Knicks. Let's go, Bockers, baby. Smitty, we're riding together, my man. Take care. We'll do this again soon. Love you, buddy. So I'm feeling good about these series prices. Knicks. I'm gonna take the Nets to win in five, and. The Portland Trailblazers, all in on my guy, Dame Lillard and Mike Woodson's boy. And my fellow Syracuse dude, Carmelo Anthony. No Murray, big problems for the Nuggets. Before we say goodbye and get you ready for all sorts of craziness this weekend, he's red hot. He's got to check in. The great Jeff Money. What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicap of picks. A little bit different today. I'm only going to give you NBA plays. I got one for each day. So we're going to start out for Friday the 21st. I'm going to go with the Warriors minus the four over the Grizzlies. The Warriors covered their last seven games. The Warriors covered the last meeting versus the Grizzlies. So for Friday, I'm going to take the Warriors minus the four. For Saturday the 22nd, I'm going to take the Brooklyn Nets minus the seven and a half over the Lakers. The Nets covered their last five games. They uh, covered their last uh, last two games against the uh, Celtics, and the big three are back. So for Saturday, I'm taking the Nets minus the seven and a half. And finally, for Sunday, I'm going to go with the New York Knicks minus the four over the Hawks. Now, the Knicks won both their meetings this year at home, and they were a slight underdog. This time, they were favored, of course, by one. So I'm going to take the Knicks minus the one. So again, three games. Friday the 21st, I'm going to take the Warriors minus the four. Saturday the 22nd, I'm going to take the Brooklyn Nets minus the seven and a half. And finally, Sunday the 23rd, I'm going to take the Knicks minus the one. All right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Jeff Money and I riding together on the New York Knickerbockers in game one. We are heads up, though, with the Celtics and the Nets. To me, if the Nets 
are going to lose a game at home. It would be game one right out of the gate. It would not be game two. I'm actually going to hold my nose and take the Celtics plus the eight. And looking at that Memphis-Golden State line for Friday night, my initial reaction is that that line is too low. That's my initial reaction looking at it. And I had the Warriors on Wednesday. You have to wonder with Golden State, did the game take a ton out of them now to turn it around, quick turnaround Friday against John Morant and company? And can they go and find a way to get a win? That's a stay away from me. I'm probably not playing Memphis and Golden State. I am going to play the Knicks, and we're going to be heads up with the Celtics and the Nets, at least in game number one. It is going to be an awesome weekend. So Sunday, we're back with wall-to-wall Nick reaction, the net reaction. And remember, you got a big baseball weekend with the Yankees and the White Sox in what, to me, is probably going to be a playoff preview at some point within the American League. So we'll have all the baseball stuff from the weekend. I hope everybody enjoys this final weekend before Memorial Day weekend, which is the unofficial start to summer in many ways. So enjoy it, folks. We're back Sunday night. JJ, signing off. Be good, everybody.